The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. A warm greetings on this Sunday. And this is the weekend that here in the United States we celebrate Martin Luther King. <clears throat> and I love this uh, holiday because it's the holiday that uh, I associate most closely with love. Martin Luther King based his life on a love that was inclusive, that was not compromised for the conflicts he was in, but sought to stay present with love in these conflicts to search for cooperation, to search for mutual kind regard. And this dedication to love, which was at the foundation of his life, can be celebrated on this day. I'd like to celebrate more than his great accomplishments like with civil rights and voting rights that were really the outcome of his dedication to love. The, um, I suppose um, uh, the, the other holidays that the United States celebrates, we could infuse them with love. Labor Day and our love and care and good, goodwill and gratitude for the people who work and all the different ways in which sustain our lives. Memorial Day and Veterans Day, maybe it can be a evoke a certain kind of love that uh, maybe even love for our enemies in conflict and the dedication of people's lives to protect what they love. And so, so forth. Maybe we could it's possible to infuse everything with love, to have that to be the foundation. And of course, uh, it's very common for us to say, but, but what about? What if? Not that. How could I do it for, how can I love that? And Martin Luther King's message, I believe, is that if you don't love, you harm yourself. Certainly, he said that hate harms the hater. And so he was dedicated to not hate. And perhaps against tremendous challenges, uh, he dedicated himself to love. And um, it's inspiring what's possible. Martin Luther King was inspired in turn by Mahatma Gandhi. And he said that uh, one of the Gandhi's great contribution was to uh, show how love can be evoked for social action. Love can be evoked for civil rights, for freedom, for overcoming oppression, uh, government oppression, national oppression of all kinds. And um, 
And so Martin Luther King kind of took that message from Gandhi and uh, dedicated his life to, to love, the force of love, the power of love. The, um, it said that he was first inspired to nonviolence by Henry Thoreau, who had an essay on uh, disobedience, on uh, civil disobedience. And, um, and from Thoreau, he learned, he, he kind of was inspired that you could uh, stand up against the government, against the state, uh, with, in nonviolent ways. And, um, and, uh, and so he, and he spent a lot of time studying this and thinking about nonviolence in, in college and graduate school and seminary. And uh, was influenced. He was apparently a big reader of the philosophy of nonviolence and and social change. And it got him more and more centered in this idea of nonviolence. But when he was introduced to Mahatma Gandhi, that's where he understood that this dedication to nonviolent change could be centered on love. And he was dedicated to an all-inclusive love, that uh, no one no one was left out. And um, um, he wrote, he said, for, oh, he dedicated himself for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation, and all embracing an unconditional love for everyone. And um, so, is this possible? Is it interesting? Is it valuable? Is it valuable enough that we can dedicate ourselves to it? Perhaps on this holiday, at least for this one, to emphasize love. This weekend, I read a short story that was uh, came out of Thailand, published in a news journal, news news site there, of a. in Bangkok, they have these uh, neighborhood, small corner stores that are money exchangers, money places to transfer money and send money to. And Thais will use it to send money to the relatives in the countryside from Bangkok. And for a long time, there was a woman who came <clears throat> once a month, end of the month, and would send uh, 20,000 baht, uh, 20,000, the currency of Thailand, uh, to uh, her relatives in the countryside. And there was no real discussion about it, it was just a matter of fact trans- transaction. But one day she came <clears throat> and she wanted to transfer 15,000 instead of 20. And um, so the owner of the shop asked her, you know, what's happening? And she said, well, th- uh, times are difficult and I, this is all I can do. And, um, and, uh, and she, uh, she said, he asked her, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And somehow in the conversation he learned that even when she sent 20,000 baht to her uh, son so he can go to school uh, in the countryside and her sister to take care of their elderly parents and uh, that she had very little money for herself. And it seemed like she worked a little bit in a, as a masseuse and a little bit overlapped with the sex industry there, and something that she really detested doing but felt that she had to. And um, <clears throat> so... The next time she came back, next month, she came with 20,000 baht and wanted to have it sent to her, sent to the countryside. Uh, 
And uh, so he took the money and he did a money transfer. And she returned a while later and said, there's been a mistake. Uh, you, you didn't transfer 20,000 baht, you transferred 200,000 baht. And he said to her, it was no mistake. I thought I would try to support you and help you in what your life that's so challenging for you. She cried and thanked him. And then some months later, she didn't come back anymore to transfer money. But then he got a, a Facebook message from her that uh, she had opened a noodle shop back in her home village or hometown and that it was already thriving. Um, people loved her noodles and food and she'd taken that money and started a business and gotten out of the ma- massage trade and was now running a business that uh, maybe was sustaining her more than uh, her massage trade can do. And uh, she thanked him deeply. The title of this article that I read was uh, um, uh, Love Without Action is a Four-Letter Word. So that was kind of a powerful title. I thought that's why I read the article. I said, what What are they going to say here? Love Without Action is a Four-Letter Word. There's a bunch of uh, Buddhist teachers, <clears throat> a few of them <clears throat> who started a non-profit, that's called uh, metta in action. <clears throat> so metta is a word for love or loving kindness. So loving kindness in action. And they raise money to support uh, mostly like schools and medical facilities in Burma. And then they, they built schoolhouses and supported <clears throat> teachers to teach in the schools. And, um, and that's kind of been their mission for many years now. So love in action. Is, without action is love, love. <clears throat> what is love without action? And uh, what is it to act on love and live with love? And um, and certainly we find in Buddhism a lot of emphasis on the value of love uh, and kindness and goodwill. And we, the op- oh, kind of the, the opening kind of, you know, if Buddhism has a, you know, a sacred body of texts. Technically, it has no official opening passages, but because of the the fame of the Dhammapada, this book of verses, um, sometimes that's seen as the opening kind of uh, teachings of Buddhism, of early Buddhism. And the text begins um, uh, in the first chapter, uh, with the, uh, not the very first two verses, but um, the third verse, quoting someone who's exclaiming, He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. And then, for those carrying ill will such as this, hatred does not end. For those who say, she abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying ill will such as this. For those not carrying ill will such as this, hatred ends. So when hatred takes the form of attacking and criticizing other people and being angry with them in in a mean-spirited way, hatred doesn't end. 
Hatred never ends through hatred. By love alone does it end. This is the eternal truth. The literal meaning is, by non-hatred alone does it end. This is eternal truth. But it's often understood that it's the word non-hatred means love in this context. And then there's a very interesting next verse, and maybe this is kind of punctuates this. Many do not realize we here must die. For those who realize this, quarrels end. So there's something about <clears throat> realizing that our life is limited on this planet, that maybe we don't want to waste time wasting it with hatred, wasting it with greed, wasting it with um, closing in on ourselves or closing in tight on one particular clan, one particular tribe or race, but rather to have some love that's all-embracing. So Martin Luther King was this way, and he's, I, think, I think he's most famous for uh, the work he did for civil rights. And uh, the need for it was so great in his time. He, when he grew up uh, as a young man in the South, uh, he saw a tremendous injustice happening. Injustice in voting, injustice in the courts, injustice by the police, injustice by the society around him, that his African-American neighbors uh, and friends and, and uh, uh, struggle under. And so he wanted to change that and work for that. And, um, and so he's famous for his civil rights work. And it was phenomenal what, ha- what happened in, uh, among the civil rights people that he was part of, one of the leaders for, in terms of changing a whole country uh, where they did not give up their nonviolent dedication under the onslaught of violence. And I think most of you have maybe seen some of the videos of the tremendous violence that was done in Montgomery and against children and teenagers and high school students uh, and the violence uh, in the bridge in Selma where a lot of the civil rights leaders and others were brutally attacked by the police. People who were uh, killed and shot and lynched coming to the South to try to make a difference. And even in these horrendous conditions, uh, Martin Luther King refused to give up love. It's hard to believe uh, that anyone could do this. But this is a message that he said all religions taught. And for him, he was just trying to live out the message of love that he received or he found in the teachings of Jesus and Christianity. And he made, I think, a very powerful statement about um, about uh, love and from a Christian point of view, he said at one point, "Let us love one another. Love is God. Love is God. So to not worship love, to not to to destroy love." you know, for him, is kind of a destruction of God. The, um, he also wrote, When I speak of love, 
I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of that force which all the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. All great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. So is love at the heart of Buddhism? Uh, love and action in Buddhism is, uh, is uh, described by the word anukampa, a quivering of the heart, a vibrance, vibrancy of the heart uh, that is translated to action and care, and kindness and support of others. The Buddha dedicated his life to this anukampa. Uh, I think it was the organizing principle for his life. He was dedicated to metta, to loving kindness. And when people came to him with, uh, to attack him, both verbally with anger and hostility, and, and in one story where it came with hostility to actually, actually try to kill him, uh, he, his response was to radiate the power of his love, his power of his metta towards the people, and to the, in one case an animal that was coming to kill him, an elephant. And uh, the stories say that his power of love was enough to stop um, the attacks that he was receiving. Is it realistic to do that in, in, in the threat of violence? The Buddha made a tremendously powerful statement about this that uh, it's easy to dismiss because it's so, maybe it's hyperbole. Maybe it is uh, so unrealistic that how could we ever make this true? But it's, uh, you know, Martin Luther King says that love is the unifying principle of life and this dedication to love. And so the Buddha said that even if um, bandits come and uh, capture you and start cutting off your arms, do not succumb to love, but radiate your kindness to them. And I think we have to understand this uh, story, this, this instruction from the Buddha, partly as hyperbole, like in all cases, but I think also literally. Because the, for the Buddha, succumbing to love was such a bad thing to do for oneself. It's one of the worst things we can do in terms of uh, harming ourselves to succumb to love. Someone who really understands and sees the self-harm from hate, understand, never give up love, always but always work hard not to succumb to hate. And, um, and it's not a message to not defend yourself. I think the conditions for this powerful statement is if you have no other choice and uh, you have, can't escape. Um, because the Buddha said that if, um, if uh, uh, he did condone not actually acts of violence, maybe not, but acts of self-defense to escape from the harm others are doing to us. And he said that a monastic can, can a monk can strike out to defend themselves for the purpose of escaping, provided they do it without any hate, provided they can do it with goodwill towards the people they're escaping from. 
So I think what's striking back then, you know, <clears throat> what's striking out meant maybe to lift up your hand and block a, block a blow or push someone away. There's an example of someone who protected their own life by pushing someone off a cliff from the time of the Buddha. And uh, the Buddha kind of understood that matter-of-factly, that that was somehow uh, not an act of hatred or an act of self-defense. So how far this idea of self-defense goes and how far we can go in our lives to do it, uh, that kind of act. Um, The Buddha was not just saying stay, you know, passive and allow yourself to be, you know, uh, taken advantage of. And there's nowhere in the Buddha that he says that, you know, somehow just accept the violence being done to you. If anything, my interpretation of the Buddha is that uh, you should always look hostility in the eye. Be strong and forceful and look it in the eye. Don't, 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 uh, you know, kind of sense hold your ground, even if you have to step away and walk away. But there's no idea that you're supposed to cower or be less than or be somehow meek in Buddhism. The example of the Buddha is one, kind of the way he's talked about in the language of the texts is a language of power, strength. Sometimes uh, modern people, when they read some of the this language of power and strength in Buddhism, uh, <clears throat> interpret it as being kind of a certain kind of machoism or a certain kind of um, uh, overemphasis on strength. But I think it's, uh, when I read the text, I, I interpret it at least to be the nice combination of love with strength, love, strength with love, and um, this dedication. And so uh, that's what Martin Luther King says in this quote. Um, I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of that force, uh, a force of unifying love. Um, I see the chat. Are you misspeaking about love and hate? And like what I said, I think, yeah, I got a little bit jumbled in my love and hate. Now I don't remember well enough to go back and correct it. So if you listened, hopefully you understood my jumble. Um, the... Um, So here's a quote from what I was saying from Gandhi, from Martin Luther King, of what I was saying about Gandhi. Gandhi was probably the first person in history to lift the love ethic of Jesus above more interaction between individuals to a powerful and effective social force on a large scale. Love for Gandhi was a potent instrument for social and collective transformation. It was in this Gandhian emphasis on love and nonviolence that is, I discovered the method for social reform that I have been asking. Um, one of my first Zen teachers said that um, the Buddha's contribu- contribution to humanity was the importance of meditating. Gandhi's contribution to humanity was important to decide where you're going to meditate. <clears throat> and I think what he had in mind was these nonviolent protests that where you marched, where you stood, where you sat. Uh, you can sit in such a way that you're there to offer a counter, to offer an alternative to oppression, to violence, 
that uh, exists in this world. And so they had in this in the South in the 1960s, 50s, and 60s these sit-ins, and um, you know us Buddhists will often call meditation sitting. I'm going to sit, and um, and so where do we sit? And uh, the possibility of sit-ins is uh, non-violent protests. Uh, we've seen this over and over again, and do, you know it's easy to say they don't work, but I think the genius of of uh, Gandhi and perhaps of Martin Luther King was to not do this naively, but to really uh, choose very carefully uh, where we show up to sit, to walk, to march, to the actions of nonviolence, to have to really uh, change the other people, and to search for cooperation. To not live a life of competition, but one of cooperation. To see, seek to change the heart of the other, um, uh, not by force. One of the uh, important parts of Martin Luther King's life was that he realized at some point that um, the civil rights movement, as important as it was, and voting rights, important as it was, was not enough to liberate the African-American population in this country because of the tremendous poverty that existed. And... um, and so he became a champion, anti-poverty champion. He saw that the two, uh, the uh, civil rights for African Americans and for all people were intimately connected to uh, economic change and to uh, in- improve the economic uh, position of African Americans in this country. And he worked with, uh, in conversation with uh, Martin Luther King, uh, with uh, President uh, Lyndon Johnson around this, and Lyndon Johnson began this great movement um, to eradicate poverty in this country. But then Martin Luther King saw what happened when uh, uh, President Johnson escalated the war in Vietnam, that the money for working, doing poverty programs in the country was uh, taken away from the, those programs and used to um, to fuel to pay for the American war in Vietnam. And so Martin Luther King uh, started to see all these uh, three as being unified, uh, necessary to be addressed. Uh, Civil rights, poverty, and militarism, war. And he became an anti-Vietnam, he started actively fighting against the Vietnam War, uh, actively supporting uh, anti-poverty programs and fighting for, working for that, and civil rights. And he lost a lot of his popularity because of this. Um, he was seen as some, even by many of the people who supported him earlier, as somehow uh, becoming an enemy of the state in a way he hadn't before, or of the country. But he saw these as being unified, as being connected. And he talked about the importance of uh, restitution for African Americans, uh, he said, I'm not talking about getting them paid uh, uh, back all the money that they deserved from all their work they did in slavery, but there has, has to be enough focus and financial support to bring them out of poverty as to repair the damages of slavery. But the interesting thing he said about this, because his love was so all-inclusive, is um, um, was he said that... Um, um, 
So he proposed, um, um, he did not seek full restitution of wages lost to slavery, which he believed impossible, but proposed a government compensatory program of $50 billion over 10 years to all disadvantaged groups. So $50 billion now seems like a drop in the bucket compared to what these last year, the spending programs that the federal government is doing. Now there's $65 billion just available for broadband uh, across the country. Uh, Martin Luther King posited, quote, the money spent would be more than amply justified by the benefits that would accrue to the nation through a spectacular decline in school dropouts, family breakups, crime rates, illegitimacy, swollen relief rolls, rioting, and other social evils. Unquote. He said, and he didn't want it to be only for African Americans. Um, he wanted the money spent for uh, all people who are poor. He said, quote, that this uh, effort should benefit the disadvantaged of all races. So seeing the evils or the problems of suffer, of poverty, in the times when the Buddha gave social teachings for the kind of, for teachings that addressed the governments and how they should care for everyone, he saw that one of the, one of the most, back in the time of his time, 2,500 years ago, one of the important, most important role for governments, back then it was the king, was anti-poverty programs was to provide the means for people to be able to pull themselves out of poverty and um, provide them with land and other means. And, you know, this idea that, uh, that poverty and well-being and lack of well-being and overcoming poverty is essential for people uh, to work for, you know, to, to help them out of poverty. How, without that, how can people thrive and develop? And so this dedication to love in action would take the form of uh, not allowing people to live in poverty, to support anti-poverty programs, support those who are poor in our country, support people who are disadvantaged. And that's why I was so touched by this one man in Thailand who uh, used his own savings uh, to... uh, to provide enough money to this woman, a gift to this woman, so she could uh, break out of her cycles of poverty and and um, and the sex trade, and then open up a shop in her home country, in her home hometown, to make a difference. So love. So I would like to suggest that that we think of Martin Luther King's holiday as a holiday of love. And the argument or the rationale for that is that love was what Martin Luther King based his life on and all, all, the, all the good work he did for our society that we celebrate and that, that he did so much good was, um, you know, was really based on his foundation for love. And when this country went astray and uh, went into war with Vietnam, uh, he knew that that war in Vietnam was going to damage this country. He thought, ca- called it a poison for the United States. 
And one analysis for the consequence of the Vietnam War is that uh, we're still suffering from the divisions in this country that that war opened up. And um, and if it's true what Martin Luther King said, that um, the focus on overcoming poverty that started be- just before the rise, this, this uh, escalation of the American war in Vietnam, that that was that that came to an end or was somehow impoverished the war in poverty was impoverished um, that uh, this has a lasting effect on this country that we've never really come back to uh, really address poverty in the same all-encompassing way and we've ended up a country that's the poison of hate is uh, exists in our society in such a huge way and so let's be careful. Remember, hate it does not end with hate. Let's be phenomenally careful that to use our practice, to use our care and our love, to not succumb to hate ourselves. And if that's all we do, fantastic. But maybe when we don't succumb to, lo- to hate, Maybe we too can celebrate love and can open up to love and let love, kindness, goodwill, generosity, respect, uh, uh, compassion be the operating principles for how we live this life. Because if we do that, then that is the world that we're contributing to make with every action that we do that's influenced by love, we are contributing to a world where love has a place. May we love on this weekend and perhaps on every day. Thank you.